Today's pouring rain episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Do absolutely everything on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app, please. They've been our sponsor since 1948. Or go to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Simply Safe. Right now, you can save $200 with their Defender Package. Their best-selling package of 2016. It's 24-7 protection with alarm monitoring and police dispatch. No long-term contracts, no hidden fees. Visit simplysafebs.com. Get your $200 off today. And finally, we're brought to you by Roast Battle 2, the four-night event that features top comedians getting verbally violent until one is left standing, featuring a star-studded lineup of judges, including Stoop Dog, Sarah Silverman, and Jason Sudeikis, and of course, the roast master, Jeff Ross, because this is his show. It's about it you don't want to miss. The Fortnite event begins January 26th at 10 o'clock, 9 central on Comedy Central. And don't miss the live finale on Sunday, January 29th at 10, 9 central to see who gets crowned the king or queen of cruelty for season two. And check out the Jeff Ross and Sarah Tiana podcast we did recently if you want to catch up on your roast battle history. And we're brought to you by the ringer.com. That's where I wrote not one but two columns this week, Mike Shore. <laughs> two columns. My Congrats. NBA All Star game. Ever? <laughs> first time in like two years. Uh, my NBA All Star game starter bout went up yesterday. The NFL playoffs mailbag went up today. You will go there. You will read the words that I wrote. We also posted a massive oral history of the Pats Raiders snow game from 2001. Oh. It's like 12,000 words. <laughs> the Raider fans were not happy. There's still 12,000 words of stuff to talk about from oh, that game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pivotal game. That was one of the best weeks in the history of the site. Please go there this weekend. Check out our pieces, features, and podcasts. Seth Meyers and Mike Sher coming up. Let's roll. All right, we're taping this on a Friday morning. There's an inauguration going on, which is great for all of us because we'd rather be doing a podcast. <laughs> Mike Shore. Hello. Longtime Hollywood showrunner, veteran Hollywood showrunner. Veteran. How about I think that? It's veteran. Fair to say veteran at veteran. this point. Yeah. The good place. Right. You wrapped it up. Yes. Uh, the finale aired last night. The last two episodes yeah. aired last night. Can we get those on Hulu? I believe you can. I think we can get everything on Hulu at this point. If you subscribe to it, I yeah. think you can, yeah. I like Hulu. Seth Meyers is also on the line. It's been a while. How are you, buddy? Good. I'm also on Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> you mean right now you're using Hulu? I'm watching Hulu. I wish I could say I was watching The Good Place, but I'm catching up with some other shows. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about. Um, more important than the future of the country, I think, Pat Steelers, AFC Conference yeah. Championship. Seth Meyers, longtime Steelers fan. Me mm-hmm. and Mike, longtime Pats fans, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't feel embarrassed about saying this. I feel like we own the Steelers. <laughs> Why? Oh, you do. Is that fair? Why say is that? Is that fair? Yeah. I'm not saying it'll matter on Sunday, but I just feel like Brady loves playing the Steelers and the Bills. Those are his two teams. I feel like every athlete has a couple teams that they love going against, and he loves going against the Steelers. He has 19 TDs, zero picks against Mike Tomlin the last six times. Yeah, yeah, he, he kind of. Kind of does well against the Tomlin teams. I'm confident. I shouldn't be this confident, right? No, you shouldn't okay. be. It's a huge mistake. I feel like the. I, I feel great because I my expectation because I, I completely agree with you. All I can get out of Sunday is a beautiful surprise. 
Mm. You know, it could go the way I expect it to go, and then I'll say it was a great season. I think coming into the season, I did not think the Patriots, uh, the Steelers were better than the Patriots, and to make the Final Four this year was great. And so I'm just going in. I couldn't be happier. I kind of don't believe you a little bit. <laughs> that That's your attitude. Okay, good. I did say this into the mirror like 10 times before I got on the phone. And <laughs> I thought I was rounding into shape, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I look, I hate everything. I hate how good the Patriots are. And I hate how Steelers games against the Patriots pretty quickly reveal themselves to be an outclassing taking place. So I'm very concerned. And I also think everything the Texans did last week that made the Patriots look vulnerable are not exactly strengths of the Steelers. So that worries me a great deal. Mm. I feel like the last last year in the AFC Championship game, I sat on your couch, Bill. And yeah. I told you exactly what was going to happen. You Remember? did. I did. I said, did. like, there's nothing good ever happens in Denver. You, In a very creepy way, you laid out yeah. exactly how the three hours would play out. And I, and I was sort of trying to recreate that moment for today. And I, I, the conclusion I keep coming to is this feels to me like an absolute coin flip. Like, it, mm. like even in New England, given that I think if Gronk were playing, I, I'm confident. Without him, this feels like absolutely 50-50. Like I, the scenarios that I envision are equally likely when I envision Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown going crazy and the Steelers putting up 24 points in the first half and just running away with it. And also the Patriots doing what they have traditionally done against the Steelers, which is just slowly sort of grind them down and win like, you know, 27, 14 or something like that. I cannot get a read on which one I think is more likely. Well, the Patriots are favored by six. I I put up a column today and did the ultimate cop out. Pick the Patriots to win but not cover. Because <laughs> I feel like this is a three point game. Yeah. Mainly because the no Gronk thing is gonna reveal itself at some point to be a problem. You could feel it a little bit in that Houston game. It was like, boy, it would have been nice if Gronk just ran down the middle and they threw it to him. But one of the things that worries me is Pittsburgh has a really good red zone defense. And when we get like inside the twenty, I use we like I'm on the team. Mm-hmm. And we just have these little guys I like will doing be using, crossing I will be using we for the Steelers. Yeah, okay, good. All right, everyone's <laughs> using we. It's a we-friendly <laughs> yeah. podcast. But yeah. we have all these little guys crossing. They have that Mitchell who's a headhunter mm-hmm. in the lines of TJ Ward. And I just feel like we're, I, my fear is settling for field goals, settling for field goals, and then the Steelers get that big play with Bell or Brown. Down three, fourth quarter. I feel like I've seen this playoff game before in Foxborough. We saw it two years ago in the Baltimore game. Yeah. 35-31 back and forth, and that's what this feels like to me. It was interesting because Kansas City had a great, is, uh, I think had the best red zone defense this year. I think the Steelers are number two, maybe. Yeah. But that was the Steelers' problem last week, and I feel like everybody was tearing their hair out in Pittsburgh this week about the failure to get touchdowns last week. Right. But you realize that's the thing. When teams are really good at red zone defense, you know, I think the reality is it probably gets in the head of somebody like Belichick less than it gets in the head of, of maybe any other coach in the NFL. Right. But you plan differently down there, and all of a sudden you're not doing your strengths and you're trying different things and walking away with six field goals. So certainly that would be a best-case scenario for us is, is like just shutting it down. I don't think we're going to you know have a lot of three and outs in the game, but certainly um, 12, 12 and outs at end and three would be great. Can we talk about James Harrison for a second? Yeah, let's talk about that. To. Let's I, talk I, about that. Uh, you will him. only talk of him with praise and, uh, <laughs> you know, adoration. What kind of acupuncture is he doing? <laughs> what's, it, what's it called? I don't know. The $300,000 kind. Look. $350,000 on his body? 
A year. Just a year. Just a year. Okay. So like 30, yeah. like whatever, 20 grand a month or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he might lose money because I think he's on a – his contract might be less than $2 million. Was so he ever, if he's paying 300 Was he actually out of football or am I making that up? He, he played for the Bengals. He was out of football. He was out of football. Yeah. He retired. Oh, he was. He played for the Bengals. He retired, suspicious. and then in and then in game, uh, like game three or four of the following year, Jarvis Jones broke his hand, and Brett Kiesel called up James Harrison on the flight home. As uh and uh and and Ike Taylor him. and Troy Palomalo, they like basically called him and said they needed him. And they said we'll uh, chip no, in wonder, at three fifty. It's a wonderful story, and I would love to hear you guys try to tear it down, tear down this great man. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> if this were baseball, everybody would be losing mm-hmm. their minds. But with football, nobody cares. Yeah, I have some yeah, questions for way. I have some questions for Seth. Oh, wonderful! Because from a fan's perspective, I'm really curious. The Facebook Live Antonio Brown thing happens. What's your reaction? Well, I mean, I'd had Antonio Brown on the show earlier this year, and it yeah. seemed very in line with my clocking <laughs> the kind of person Antonio Brown right. was. But I, it, the thing I'll say about it is he's not a clubhouse poison. He's, no. He is joy. He is like sort of unfettered joy. And I think – it's a mistake to think in any way, shape, or form that he is a leader in that clubhouse. I think that that clubhouse holds a lot of leaders, and he's just – everybody knows he's this incredibly talented player who is kind of um, in the clouds a little bit. And so I don't think it affects the team anyway. I mean, I think – look, I think Tom was mad, but I thought he handled it well. But that did not uh, – that did not – I did not panic. I'm certainly – I'm more worried that a flu is going around. Well, uh, all, th- all three of us are bosses. If somebody who yeah. worked for the enterprise that we run videotaped live a speech we were giving to our entire staff, I would have one of two reactions. Either I hate you or, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. oh man, that's, yeah, I should have known. I think and I reaction, think that's that reaction. The reaction, them. it felt like everyone had from Tomlin down was like, God damn it, Antonio. Yeah. Come on. Like man. he's like a six year old kid. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, and it, the idea that this is like a distraction is absurd. Like it's they, not. they forgot about it. They laughed about it. They said it publicly what they had to say. He said publicly what he had to say. Everybody moved on. I think they're probably laughing way more than they're like being annoyed or shit. It could have been way worse. Like think of all the things Tomlin could have said for 13 minutes. Yeah. And Tomlin, it just does speak to, I think the kind of coach Tomlin is basically what Antonio Brown caught the coach saying was don't give the other team ammunition. Yeah. Right. Like, Keep your heads down. And other than a few curse words that were less than you would expect in 13 minutes after a win in the playoffs. I agree. Like there was Tomlin didn't say anything that would lead you to uh, have any lack of respect or worry about it being an issue. Now, if I were the Rudies, I would be like proud of what had transpired because it was like it was celebratory. The coach was sort of handling the team in a coach like way. Everybody like they were he was getting them fired up without without being too over the top or anything. And even like calling the Patriots assholes. I liked it. I kind of did too. Yeah, we are was, assholes. Yeah. We'll take it. But also yeah. like, I think he should, he would have called any team they were going to play next week assholes. And it was like, it was just like, it was a, it was a very, it was a relatively speaking classy affair. And yeah, I, I think that it's, it's one of those things. Thank God it wasn't before the Super Bowl because then we would have had to endure stories for two weeks instead of one. Yeah. But uh, well, no, instead I, we're going to endure stories. 
we're going to endorse stories for two weeks about Aaron Rodgers distancing oh. himself from his family. We get that for yeah. two weeks. Which of his course, parents oh are very God. upset. If, oh, he's, if you he's... watch The Bachelor, I mean, you were on this story. I was on this story years ago. Yeah. Oh, of... yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no question. So the flu, that's a bigger yeah. concern. What do you have? Like 15 guys got sick this week. It's all going around. It's like the th- when your third grade kid comes home with yeah. the cough and then everybody in the third grade gets it. That's mm-hmm. kind of how a football locker room works. I think this is good for us. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying us for my... Even if you have... If you're five percent affected by this, you like ninety five percent is not enough against the Patriots. Like yeah. there are weeks where you could a team can handle the flu. I mean, I don't want to make excuses. I'm hoping it won't be a big Please deal. Please do but, uh, that. I was when you hear flu, you have a moment of oh no. Yeah, but the the, the flu was going around like you know Monday or something. Like I feel like these the way that these guys yeah. get treated. They're just pumped full of like IVs and stuff. I feel like you recover from the flu a lot faster when you have the kind of like doctors at the NFL. Has. It hurt James Harrison's budget. Cause now it's 355,000. Cause he had to yeah. get it and get right. an IV. All right. Here's my third question. Third, third and last question. Are you worried about what you've seen from Roethlisberger? Because I think yeah, he's looked a I'm little concerned. dicey this season, right? He's looked a little dicey. He looked great in the beginning against Miami. And obviously it was the right coaching call to throw less run more when they had that lead. But then even then, there's just been, over the course of this nine-game winning streak, the weirdest thing is the best he looked uh, in, in recent history was that game they lost against Dallas. And then they went on a nine-game winning streak, and he hasn't looked that good since. So, you know, on one hand, again, you say, well, this is obviously it was the right thing to lean on Le'Veon Bell and, and, and minimize what Ben brings to the outcome of the game. But I, you just can't imagine a game where Belichick isn't going to take away Le'Veon Bell and have forced Roethlisberger to play at his top level. So, yeah, that's the thing I'm most worried about. That was my question. Seth, I wanted to play a game that I knew you would hate, which is given, <laughs> that, given that Belichick famously, people say his, his approach is to take away the other team's best weapon, play a game where you're Bill Belichick and, and uh, design a game plan to stop the Steelers' offense. Mm. Well, I think you play... I think you play man to stay to get closer to the line on and anybody on any tight ends or anything like that. Just so you have more guys closer to the box. Even though Ben, I think, prefers playing against man than zone. Uh, but I would think you just load up the box and see what uh, Ben can do. And you, what you put Butler on Brown, right? Probably. Well, I, I've read some analysis that is kind of interesting, which is that a thing that Pats have done, which is like, they're not alone in this, but sometimes they put uh, Butler on the number two receiver yeah. and then they oh, put right. like Logan Ryan and a safety. They double team the number one receiver and they trust that the, um, that like, you know, that- he's going to, I think he's going to cover Eli Rogers. Lombardi and I talked about this on Wednesday's podcast about Belichick. He singled Brown the first game of last season with Butler when Butler's like first replacing Darrell Rivas game. Right. And Butler did a great job, and Brown still had like 160 yards. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, wow, Malcolm Butler's been unbelievable. It's like Antonio Brown has 160 yards. Yeah. So I think they're going to do the thing where they put Logan Ryan, a double team, on Brown the whole game. Yeah. Butler Butler covers Eli Rogers. They stack the front, and then they just let Jesse James and all these random dudes. It's like, if you if you guys are going to beat us, congratulations. Yeah. Have, I think have it away. Le- Le- Le'Veon Bell, I w- I'm going to – Here's my – I wager Le'Veon Bell 
has more yards receiving this game than rushing. Ooh, that's that? that's my fear. Yeah, I agree. You know, historically, I went and looked this up because I was working on a football mailbag about how running backs have done in the playoffs against the Pats. The only one who really killed us was Ray Rice in 2010 because he yeah. had that long 83-yard run. But other than that, they've Tomlinson had a good game in 05. He had like 123, two TDs. But remember, remember that game? I know that was the game when Troy Brown's playing like Nickelback yeah. and we we won. But I never felt like Tomlinson was dominating us. And they, the Pats have a tendency of they can kind of control the running back. What they've always had problems with is the the pass catching running back, which is also what he is. Which is remember, why I'm scared. Do you remember Flacco's stats from that game, the Ray Rice game? <laughs> he was like he threw like nine passes. Right, he was right. like four of nine for seventy yards that was and a, a terrible pick. game. And they and they blew us away. It was thirty three fourteen or something was the right. final. And that yeah that was the wanna... saddest game. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Uh, I want to go. Back to that game, the first game two seasons back, the which I think was like 28-21. Yeah, something the, like that. That's the last game. That's the one thing that gives me an inkling of confidence. Mm. Is Obviously, this year it was Landry Jones. That game, even though the Pats won that game, that was Keith Butler's first game. If you remember, Gronkowski caught two passes where no one even covered him. Yeah. <laughs> the Steelers missed two field goals, and it was 28-21. So that... That is the one thing of uh, one ray of optimism because I am so usually when the Steelers beat or sorry lose to the Patriots, it's not there. There wasn't like a thin line of 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 loss and and victory. It was very clear that they lost the game. But that's the one that gives me a little hope. When did you guys start working together at SNL? What year was it? Two thousand one. Right. Two thousand one. So did you? Yeah. So that that was because last night on the NFL Network they showed the two Steelers Pats playoff games from. January yeah. 2002 and January 2005. Right. And I hadn't watched that 011 in a while. And I ended up just, it was the NFL films version of it. So it was all the cool cameras and the guy's cool voice, all that stuff. Yeah. Cordell Stewart was so bad in that game. <laughs> I'd forgotten how bad he was. Was that the game that Cower told them all to make their, no, that was. Yeah, the, that, no, was they that made the, the reservation. Yeah, so at the end of the yeah. game, the Pats. They're waving white towels and they're all screaming at the Steelers fans like, better cancel those reservations because Coward let them make Super Bowl reservations. Yeah, which was get it all out of the way right now. Make the reservations. Right. Dole up your – give out your tickets and whatever. Because, and then yeah. Belichick found out and yeah. did all the Belichick things. But, man, this was early internet. Like we're about year six in the internet, but we don't have sports blogs or anything like that. If somebody did that now – People would oh, yeah. lose their fucking minds. Yeah, what a huge mistake! Uh, I'm just gonna just gonna jump in real quick and say yes. that I was at that game. Oh no, which was <laughs> one of the worst. Oh boy, the the, uh, the only one that was worse. I was with the Steelers uh, Chargers game. Do you remember that AFC Championship game where it was uh, uh, like I think in that one. Uh, maybe Eric Green was the tight end who was uh, he was going to make a Super Bowl shuffle. He was that was the reservations he was making. They were like <laughs> oh, planning God. a Super Bowl video. <laughs> but I will say that was and that game was like two special teams touchdowns. It was yeah, the flukiest yeah. game, even with and Bledsoe coming in and throwing a touchdown. Yeah. Well, so it, it's even crazier than that because I had forgotten. It's really an amazing game. The Troy Brown gets a punt return touchdown. That's the first score. But the reason he gets it is because. They punted it out of bounds, but a Steeler ran out of bounds. And you had a left-footed punter. And the first time, you put it on the left hash mark and just punted it down the sideline. But then they spotted the ball on the right hash mark. So when he left, he punted it. It actually kept Brown in bounds, and then he ran through and scored. And Cowers like, losing his mind about the hash mark spot. It's like, maybe you should worry about the 11 guys that didn't tackle Troy Brown. So that happened. And then they had the block field goal where Brown lateraled for the touchdown. Right. But he was a forward lateral. 
and the Steelers had no challenges left. Oh my god! And I now it'd that. be like if it happened now, they review every scoring play. They would have brought it back, but they Steelers ran out of challenges. So it's like boom, touchdown. I will say that Seth and I started working together in two thousand one and bonded like on day one of Seth. I had been there for a couple of years. Seth showed up. And I literally remember the moment that he was walking down the hallway towards me and going, hey, you're a Red Sox fan, right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And then like I like I blacked out and then he was the best man at my wedding. Like it, <laughs> like it, it was so instantaneous. And I, I'm not kidding when I say this. I remember it as one of the most disappointing moments of my life when I started talking about the Patriots. When and he, he was, was like, Steelers I'm fan. a Steelers fan. It was It still like hurts me. I can feel a visceral pain yeah. about the moment also, I learned that. It was- Steelers fans and Patriots fans happily coexisted until about 2001. That's right. Like, that was when... Because the Patriots were terrible. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't have feuds with anybody. We just, everybody beat us. <laughs> we did this, uh, on The Ringer, we did this giant oral history of the, we call it the snow game. Everybody else calls it the tuck roll game. Oh, right. <laughs> and I think what people don't understand about that game is the Patriots had never won that game in the history of the franchise. Right. Where it's like, oh, we got a lucky break, and oh, we never should have won that game. And it, it like, never happened. Right. And from that moment on, everything flipped. But, like, I remember the Steelers and the Pats played a playoff game during the Bledsoe era. Or maybe it was a game to get in the playoffs. Or remember it was 7-6? to six. Yeah. We lost that at is home. That is the only—7-6 to six is the only Steelers win over the Patriots in the playoffs. Right. Wow. And that was, like, you know, it's like I didn't feel bitterness toward the Steelers after. No. It's like, of course we lost. We're the Patriots. Yeah, we made the playoffs. Yeah, right, we right. made This is great. <laughs> Let's make the playoffs again next year. But— yeah, and then it, it feels like the Steelers-Pats feud never really caught on, mainly because they never played in the playoffs enough. It was always like they were different years. Seth, who is the— Well, big- we missed this feud because, yeah, like there was all these weird breaks. We should have played so many other times. Like I think the Ray Rice game was probably the game that cost us the Steelers-Patriots AFC Championship sure. game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there was the Tebow game. We were supposed to play the week after that. Yeah, you lost to There's Tim Tebow. <laughs> we did. We lost to Mark we Sanchez, did. and you lost to Tim Tebow in the playoffs. Oh, that's Sanchez Scarlet was the letters. other one, because we, we went through Sanchez one year, and that's because of you guys. I can't right. believe it. I can't believe we lost to Mark Sanchez. Um, so yeah. Who, is the, if, who is the team that the Steelers consider their number one rival? Is it, is it just Ravens. the Ravens? Yeah, no I was going to say Ravens. Yeah. Bengals number two? Uh, yeah. I mean, probably, I mean, the... the Steelers, uh, the way the Steelers perceive the Patriots is pretty close to, I think, the way the Red Red Sox perceive the Yankees in that it's only a one-way rivalry. Like, it's our hump team. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we our rival just shifts. That's it's the like thing. the Colts, it's the Broncos. I think it's I think right now the team that I hate the most, at least, is the Broncos. Like I, 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 I mean, hate the, the Giants. The, the, the AS, Giants fans yeah. think they're better than but us. We, we rarely play the Giants. I know, like, but it, it still they feel like they have it. When I meet a Giants fan, I could just see the gleam in their eyes. Well, then I'll ask you this. But a lot of people have been asking me, like, if the Patriots made the Super Bowl again, who would you want to play? And the I assumption, the Giants. see, that's crazy to me. I, I didn't. I want to. I wanted to the flip Giants. the, tri- the no, trilogy and flip the but script. But losing to the Giants for the third time, they, that would never go away. Like I was like, you can't roll the dice there. I would have way rather played the Cowboys in this theoretical universe. I'm the opposite. We've won like nine titles this this century. <laughs> I'm like Ben Affleck, accepting the Batman script. I'm like, I'm rolling the dice. I want it all. I want everything. I don't know. I wanted no. I wanted no part of the. Gi- uh, giants at all i would have I wow would, I you're would have afraid taken, of the giants yeah a hundred percent i am yes there was two the only two what you would consider to be truly bad experiences in the like you lose to the ravens because ray rice goes crazy okay that's right. gonna happen 
You know, you lose to Mark Sanchez. Like, well, that was a great defense. That defense was amazing. Yeah, the, we should have beaten the Giants both times, and yeah. they beat us on in in exceptional ways. Do you Once, feel like we should have beaten them the first time? Yes. I actually think they they outplayed us. Well, they the, first, did. the second game we should have beaten them. They outplayed us both They games, dominated but our, the, our offensive line. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have beaten them. Sure. It was like they, they we had, had the Patriots lead with were, two minutes left. Yeah, and in both cases, is, it, is the New York of it play a big role for you, Bill? Is that? Oh yeah, an issue. Yeah, I'm just talking. I, I so want to talk have about asked the me, New York part, Bill. Yeah, people have asked me in the past, like, you know, be, hey, do you ever live in New York? And I'm always like, I couldn't have lived there. And they're like, why? It's like because that's where the Yankee fans are. Like, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I just couldn't have handled it. Maybe now, at a later point in my life, when you have children, and everything's in more perspective. I could live there, but. Right. When I was in my 20s, I, there's no way I could have. I mean, you must have gone crazy. Okay, um, here's the counterpoint for you. Yeah. In 2003, after Aaron Boone, mm. Seth Myers and I take a long, lonely walk through the streets of New York City. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lamenting our, our fate. And we get to a corner. And Seth said to me, in one of the most romantic moments of my life, someday the Red Sox are going to win the World Series. And when they are, we're going to come back to this spot and we're going to hug each other. And the next year, they won. That's like Sleepless in Seattle. Yes, I'm telling you, it was incredibly romantic. And then the next year when they won, I went to his house and dropped off for him a gift I had made him and other people, which was secretly for a year. I had been collecting every email, text exchange, voicemail message, everything in our whole group of friends about the Red Sox. And I, without telling anybody, I had done this for a whole year, actually more than a year, because it went back to like September of 03. Yeah. And I compiled it into a book and I wrote like introductions to the various chapters and stuff like that. And I laid out the whole story. I went to his apartment in the West Village, dropped it off. And then he was like, hey, I'll walk you to the subway. And we walked and then... I didn't realize it until the moment it happened, but he walked me back to that corner. And in the second most romantic moment of my life, we hugged each other and wow. like started crying. And it was a wonderful moment. So to actually have been in New York for that, there is there was a fantastic benefit for us. I uh, still think it was a mistake that I told that story on my wedding night and made it like the core of my toast. <laughs> How'd your wife feel about that? Well, I said, you know, and I hope that well, I aspire that one day we'll have a night like that. Right. <laughs> someday, someday, someday our relationship will achieve these heights. <laughs> wow. I don't think I'll ever care about sports as much again as I did from like about six weeks before the Boone Homer all the way through October 04. I think I just peaked as a fan. I think I w- I've yeah. said frequently 2000, 2001 to 2004 is the most I've ever cared about anything that isn't like someone in my fam, my wife or my yeah. kids. Like, and, and, and it's, yeah. and it's now impossible to get it back. And not sat, the Steelers haven't had the, the quite the same level of, of like championship success as the Patriots, but uh, they've been in the most Super Bowls they've won. They have won the most Super it's Bowls. It's been right? good they to be six. a Steelers fan. Yeah. You, you've never really, you had the four with Bradshaw, but then there was never really, a, a long period of failure no. that lasted longer than four or five years. Even in the mid nineties, you had a run and you almost made the, it. Like, no, the cower years are good. The, the back half of Noel, like the eighties were yeah. pretty, uh, pretty dire, but then, yeah, I mean the, the fact that Tomlin's 10 years in and had two, eight and eight seasons, that's the lowest he's gone. You just realize how many people would trade for that. Pittsburgh fans, especially when it comes to their football are very spoiled because you know, there's still too many of them alive that saw them win four Super Bowls in six right. years. But we have a very, very good. Do you, how do you is Bradshaw when he goes off on Tomlin and does crazy Bradshaw things? Is he just like <laughs> your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving who you're like, oh god, Uncle Terry? The craziest thing yeah. about Bradshaw, 
who again, I had this poster in my room. There's no, uh, until like I met my wife, but I, there's, so I have no, I, I'm never going to be mad at Bradshaw, but there was this Chuck Noll of football life on the NFL network, uh, at, on Christmas night after one. that Ravens game. I like that it's one. It's great. But basically, Terry Bradshaw talked about why, what he wanted from Chuck Noll, and he kept saying, like, I just wanted a hug, you know? I yeah. wanted a guy. And so he basically said, I wanted a cheerleader for a coach. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that his, def- his description of what he hated about Noll was what everybody else likes about Tomlin, and yet he found his way to dislike Tomlin. Again, Terry's got a weird relationship with the city uh, and the organization, and, and he, he did seem to have a very fraught time there. And, well, his uh, his brains are his brains are clearly a little bit scrambled from his football career because he seems to just go off these tangents. And even I think when that's you... a good point that in general we should let like retire with everything we know. Like not saying right. that there's an issue or not, but we should probably just let retired football players say whatever they want, whenever <laughs> they want. I 100 percent agree. I was I was I'd forgotten to put Roger Staubach in this list of like the greatest quarterbacks and something I wrote last week, and a couple Cowboy fans emailed me like. He's got to be on the list. Like, he served the Navy for four years. He didn't become a football player until he was, like, 28. And then he was the best quarterback in the 70s. I'm like, yeah. So I Google him, and there's this thing about he retired early because he had concussions because he had two in the same season. And a doctor told him, if you have a third one, like, you're in trouble. Like, you might die. So he's like, oh, that's bad. I should retire. But in that story, he said he had 20 concussions in six different times where he got knocked out in a game. Oh. And you think like all of these quarterbacks were just pinatas. Like yeah. even even that game I was watching the 01 Pat Steelers game when Brady got hurt. I forgot how he got hurt. It was because some guy just do- dove at his legs, yeah. remember? Yeah. And the play that's now outlawed in football. But Bradshaw Staubach, those guys, they were dealing with that. They're dealing with guys clotheslining them and hitting them in the head and yeah. pancaking that's them. The, and- the clotheslining thing, You when you watch the front line – the steel curtain guys like Joe Green use their arms like two by fours, right? Just with, they just swung them around to people, and you just with what you know now, it's heartbreaking to realize what those people were going through. Or the or the yeah. head slaps. Yeah, this was like there's this yeah. unbelievable. This is like Corolla's favorite NFL films moment ever, just from an unintentional comedy standpoint. They're emailing, or they're talking to Deacon Jones about the head slap, and he's and he says something like, "If you slap." Somebody in the head, you know, that man or woman is going like, to, he, he tries to be equal rights with it. It's like, no, 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 Deacon. But it's this whole head slap montage. But well, that's yeah. what they did back then. They would come out of the stance and just hit the guy in the head as hard as they could. And the other thing was, like, my son, uh, bless his soul, went as Gronk for Halloween. Like full Gronk uniform. Uh, that's phenomenal. And uh, he and like I got him this like set of like a Gronk jersey and those the white pants with the pads like sewn in and stuff. And the helmet is just like a thin, crummy plastic helmet, which is what they played. Which with. is what they <laughs> yeah. played with. Like yeah. when you actually look at the like they their helmets were basically like just a th- sheet of plastic with a little metal in it to keep them from like having like open wounds on their foreheads when they got smashed by a. By a two by four. Well, that's what they said with OJ. His head was so big. OJ had a giant head, yeah. like really one of the biggest heads of all time. They removed the padding from the helmet so the helmet could fit his head. <laughs> oh my God. So when he played football, he had no padding in his oh, helmet. Man. It's insane. All this stuff. But then you think, like, oh, it's so much better now. And then you watch that Chief in the Steelers game 
just get annihilated yeah. over the middle. He gets hit in the head, goes off, and they're like, oh, he's back in. It's well, like, how is he back in? Like, what is the protocol? How is Matt Moore back in? That Matt oh, Moore yeah. play. Yeah. There's also the, like, in the Seahawks playoff game, they were talking about, what's the defensive back? Sheed, is that his name, I think? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, this, you know, this guy stepped in when Earl Thomas went down, and he's played really well, and, like, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year, and, like, he's, you know, he's going to get his shot. And then maybe 15 minutes of of real time later, you saw him go down with a non-contact injury and grab his knee, and it's like, oh, his career's over. Like, he's because yeah. he's now he's done for next year, and he was a free agent, and, like, maybe he'll get a camp invite and maybe he'll like hang on or something but it's the the speed with which things go from 60 to zero in the league is so terrifying still and that's with all of the protections that they've laid in it's very i mean it's a not a it's a tough sport (laughs) we'll be back to mike and seth in one second here's a quick break to talk about one of my favorite companies dunkin donuts i moved to la in 2002 it took me 13 years to work or live near Dunkin' Donuts again. And then finally, they opened one up on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. We are back. Did you know you could upgrade your day with DD Perks on the Dunkin' Donuts mobile app? Oh, you can. There's a bunch of benefits with DD Perks. The first being that you earn a free beverage just by enrolling. It also has on-the-go ordering, so you can order ahead from your phone. Speed past the line in the store and go. DD Perk members also enjoy special offers. You can even choose to pay right from your phone with the Dunkin' app. Yeah, DD Perks. Everyone deserves an upgrade. Download the Dunkin' app and enroll today. Speeding past the line may not be possible at all locations. Visit ddperks.com for terms and conditions. Back to the podcast. I want to audible yeah. to, I want to audible to something. This week Tim Raines made the baseball hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. Is is this the greatest moment in advanced metrics history? I think it might be, right? When you say, I did not realize how his vote total was, the, his first year was in the 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. it was really low. The, like, he didn't go from 60 to in. The cocaine like, thing hurt crazy. him. I, I think the yeah. cocaine thing hurt him with old sports writers, and then just a lot of people never saw him play. I never saw Tim Raines now, play Seth, in person. Seth told yeah. me, you told me, Seth, that, that Jonah Carey was on your show and like you let him, yeah. you basically let him make an argument, right? Like he made like a five minute yeah. plea. Uh, I, feel plea. Like, like, I feel like, I feel like that at the very least, what you would say is that it's, uh, it's because of stuff like that. Like it's the, you can directly link it to the sort of advancement of, of like metrics thinking and baseball. But do you think that it's fair to retroactively judge people by, what their stats looked like in the eighties compared to what we value now, because like if I'm Steve Garvey (laughs) and I was the best first baseman of the seventies and my job was just to go up and swing at the first good pitch I saw and drive in runs. It's like drive in runs, Steve Garvey play first base, throw the glove around. Nobody told Steve Garvey, like work the count. Just get on base for the next guy. Like that's not what he was supposed to do. On the other hand, like Boston sports writers ripped Wade Boggs like say, crazy for walking that? too much. Yeah, it was like he walks too much. He's selfish. So like he's selfish. It's ninth inning, guy yeah. on second. Boggs gets a walk. Yeah. How does that help us? So I feel like the game is the game at some level. To accidentally quote the wire, uh, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and you like you play the game as you play the game a certain way, and then you at the end of the day, your people look at your stats, and it changes. It's obviously changed what matters. I would say the only thing that could rival Reigns to me was the period of time when, like, it was after Bartolo Colon won the Cy Young. 
yeah. and, and shouldn't have come. Like Johan Santana had a way better year. And then like in the next couple of years after that, because of the hue and cry, like Felix won and he had 13 wins. He was like 13 and 12. 13 and 12. Yeah. yeah. And Grinky won with like 16 wins. And that to me was a in a weird way. I mean, Reigns getting the Hall of Fame is a bigger deal, but just the fact that those awards now that people ignore win totals, that to me was a, maybe as big, if not bigger, a win for advanced metrics, I would say. You know, I have another, here's, so tell me if this is too much that I, I keep thinking, I have a bit of sympathy for the older voters who don't care about advanced metrics. And I say yeah. this is someone who believes in advanced metrics. Me too. And it's hard not to draw a parallel to the election we just had, that there is a great shaming, I feel, going on for those who, like, there is a, there is a kind of baseball fan who thinks Trevor Hoffman was better because of the, you know they watched him, he just came in, he finished games, he was on the mound when it was over, he values closers, and it's an interesting thing going on. Like it'll be really weird next year where all the ballots are public. I wonder if it'll, I don't know, make force oh, the everybody ballot to shaming? vote this one way. Yeah, I agree. It, everything's public. Well, yeah. I think like so, we saw know. that we saw that with the MVP. I'm a tiny bit old school with Mike Trout winning the MVP. I don't, I just don't think his like team sucked. Yeah, it's like at some point. I just think we should change most valuable. Just call it best player. Yeah. Because if you're the most valuable player on a team that went 72 and 90, I don't understand how you were valuable. So your team would have gone well, that's 65 the problem with fame, and 97? I don't nobody know. Nobody saw Tim Raines play. Like, nobody saw him play. Like, that yeah. was the problem. He was on national TV once. His team didn't make the playoffs enough. So, again, I don't think it's fair to punish Tim Raines. But I get that there are also people who say, oh, no, for me, it's the Hall of Fame. And Tim Raines is not famous enough for me. Yeah, I mean, I think you could rename the MVP like they have the Henry Aaron Award. Or Most Outstanding like, Player. Or, yeah, you could do that, but you could also just say it's the, I don't know, the Willie Mays Award or something. Which means, I'm fine with that. Which means like best all-around player or something. In Great. that case, then Mike Trout wins. And you're like, yeah, that, that guy's like Willie Mays. It does seem like that you should get a little credit if your team... If your team... I think it's a tie. It's, me, it's a tiebreaker. It's like if there's two guys who are who you could say like, look, this is a coin flip. Boy, you could give it to either guy. It's it's what happened with Sosa and McGuire in yeah. the crazy home run year. Was Sosa won the MVP that year? McGuire broke the home run record at 70 homers. Sosa had this whatever it was 65 or 66, but his team made the wild card, so they tipped it. It tipped it over to Sosa. To me, that's the correct application of the winning that's team fair. argument. It's like it's a tiebreaker if it's close. I think see, for me the, the NFL just have best quarterback and then best player. Yeah, hundred percent, thousand percent. Yeah, they should it's, call it's it idiotic. the Sammy Ball Award or something. Best non quarterback award. Yeah, and then the, you should yeah. you should it should the the yeah best quarterback and best offensive player non quarterback division. I've said this a million yeah. times, but I just the Hall of Fame to me. Everybody has to get in and put something on their plaque. I don't understand why I don't have a, how we have a Hall of Fame and bonds and. Clemens aren't going to be in there. It doesn't it's just, make sense. I just don't understand it. Yeah. Like, so we're we're going to pretend they didn't exist? It's a museum. It's a museum. About the history of the game. It's a museum. It's not. A, it's yeah. not. It's not like something that uh, we're we're holding this higher standard of life to. It's right. like Bonds was the best left fielder I ever saw. He should and, be in the Hall of Fame. And the league doesn't administer the, the like to the museum. The museum is an independent thing. Right. It's like it's crazy. If the, if it were like this is MLB's official like MLB history museum. All right, fine, but that's not what it is. It's an independent museum in a weird town in upstate New York that's about the history of the game. And now 
Shoeless Joe Jackson, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds aren't in it, which means that the story of baseball isn't being properly told. It doesn't make sense. And I can't stand Clemens. He's my least favorite athlete in the history of my life. Hmm. Number one. Number one. He passed Kareem, yeah. Wow. Uh, but I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I just don't understand why you would have a Hall where of Fame that have Roger you, Clemens in it. Where do you stand on Schilling? Yeah, that's a better question. I would more a tough question right now, I think. So I think Schilling's a Hall of Famer. I think he is too. You just apply it like his career ends in, in whatever, 2006, whatever it was, and he gets hit by a yeah. bus one day later. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's all stuff like the last 10 years has somehow mortally wounded his Hall of Fame candidacy. I think he could have gotten away. I think that the rise of advanced metrics meant that he was on his way to getting in. Yeah. If he doesn't specifically tweet about how it's funny to imagine journalists being lynched, I think he. I think it, he's yeah. fine, but like it was like he. It wasn't just that he was saying a bunch of stuff that some people might disagree with politically or whatever. He was talking about journalists, right? The people who vote on the award, getting lynched right. and saying and whatever it was it was like so much awesome here or whatever was what he tweeted. And it's like, well, I don't have. I mean, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't have any sympathy. That's a that's an abhorrent stance, first of all. But second yeah. of all, hey man, don't just don't keep that one to yourself, maybe, and you'll be fine. If we're going to start judging the character of everybody who wins an award or gets in the Hall of Fame in sports, we're in a yeah, lot well, of trouble. Yeah, well, Ty Cobb is in. That's right. the thing you always go back to. It's like Ty Cobb, a t- terrible human being. Terrible. Who who also led to a terrible movie with Robert Wall. <laughs> <laughs> His greatest crime. <laughs> Although it's funny. Don't you think there should be an advanced metric stat as far as like, you know how it's like if you hit if you hit a bunch of homers in the 90s they value it less because everybody hit homers yeah like as the, his character war for Cobb is less because everybody was kind of terrible back then yeah, yeah. Good, good point good point yeah like was... when people are like he was a racist you're like well when <laughs> you know, I know he was really bad at it but the but the, the baseline for what counted as a racist was a lot uh a lot lower. Although I would say even by racism <laughs> even, standards, he was pretty exceptional. Even the other racists but, were like, whoa. Era, yeah. <laughs> I would also say, though, that maybe then you start saying, like, well, he had a really good investment acumen, right? He bought, like, Coca-Cola stock really early. Maybe he gets a couple points in his favor for that. Like, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize he, he had did a good that. mind for business. Yeah, he was from Georgia, obviously, and he bought, like, the stories that he bought a bunch of stock in Coca-Cola early on and, like, made millions and millions of dollars. Well, you, you guys were still at... SNL in 04 when Trump was there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we wrote a sketch for him. Second. Oh, yeah. You Donald said Trump's that. You, yeah. you tweeted or wrote about that, well, right? I, Recently, Seth, I read something about it. Yeah, Seth. I was on yeah. Seth's show and he That's held, held, up a, held up a yeah. picture of uh, of the costumes. Still one of, one of, as you said, one of the most enjoyable writing sessions I think I can remember. The best. Yeah. It was so much fun. It was so great. Like, he just immediately, I, he didn't really have a take of what sketches he liked and didn't like. Um he kind of was just trusted. I think Lauren probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and, he, uh, but he never got. He never understood why it was funny. No. The first time the audience laughs at, at air, you can see a genuine look of of like pleased surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, and he was like, uh, and he is a heat seeking missile in that way, in terms of like adulation. So like as it as the audience responded favorably, he then sort of puffed up and got happier, and then the sketch like worked really well because of that. I think. <sighs> So then, Tough, yeah. weird days. These last- I think they played it. We haven't been able to watch the inauguration, but I think they played that sketch. <laughs> the um, the last year or so with SNL, if they if they could do one thing differently, dating back, I don't know, 
14 months, what do you think it would be? Uh, I always hesitate to criticize any era. I'm not saying criticizing. I'm saying if they if they had a do over. Well, I mean, if they had a do over, I think they don't have Trump on the show. I would imagine. I think that the blowback from that was justified and significant. Um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Lauren's thing has always been whoever's in the news is on the show. That's right. and you don't you don't quibble with why they're in the news. That's why I didn't mind it. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's yeah. like Andrew Dice Clay came on the show. It's and, 42 years and yeah, that was like, the strategy. Yes, and and so I don't know. I could be totally wrong. Maybe maybe they do it all over again because that is the show's tries to be agnostic about the, its about its sort of stances as much as it can. Not and just with life, but with music. With everything. Yeah. With, I mean, you whatever have like, it is. That's right. And when I was there, it was like when I first got there in the late 90s, like the only music was the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And yeah. those are the people who are on the show every week. And all the like disaffected like comedy nerds, 25 year old comedy guys in the in the writer's room were going crazy because it was like, there's all these great bands out there. Why are we having NSYNC on the show every week? Yeah. But that Lauren doesn't care. Like it's those are the relevant bands. Like the show is supposed to be a reflection of the era as it moves through time over four decades. It's a reflection of the era, and you can be, go back in time and watch episodes from like the mid '90s and go like, "All oh, right, that's what was going on in the culture at this time." So yeah, maybe. I'm Do you think wrong. that's a hundred percent intentional, or that's just the way it played out? Because Seth and I have talked about that on a pod. It's amazing if you watch reruns, and it's like. Oh, it's Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. She was at this apex of her career yep. and there was this moment and it makes sense that and this, this takes me to this place when I watch that's it. That's the lifeblood of the show is that Sinead O'Connor, everyone like is taken back to that moment and she's on the show and she tears up the picture of the Pope and like, it's like one of those indelible moments. And that's why when you do like the 40 year anniversary of SNL, you literally can't believe how many things there are that have been on that show that you remember crystal clearly. Right. So yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that's his, that's hundred percent intentional. I would say. Hey, while, uh, while the whole world was correctly, I feel like celebrating the film spotlight, I was thinking Sinead O'Connor really never got the correct rehabilitation from society for that incredibly, like that is the definition of courage. Yeah. Yeah. What and, she did that night, and she the was a hundred. And she was a hundred percent right. Like she was like, it took the world. It took like until Spotlight came out for people to completely understand why she was right. But she was totally yeah, right. Yeah, that she didn't. I just feel like she hasn't been given her day of being this person who risked everything and really kind of paid with everything. Yeah, I, I, don't, I would. I would say that's a case where you look at. I feel like we talk a lot these days about, oh, that was going to be a career ender, and it's not because society has a very short memory but she did a thing at a time where people had a very long memory for that kind of act let's take a quick break to talk about blue apron this is important stop wasting money on expensive takeout you don't have to just sign up with blue apron for less than ten dollars per meal blue apron will deliver you all the fresh ingredients you need for a delicious home-cooked meal they have the highest standards for ingredients and they built a community of home chefs that has no rival. And they've also won the affection of my son who calls calls it Blue Prune and demands the Blue Prune. At some point, he'll get the name right. Some of the meals available in January include seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney, spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic knots, spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furikake. 
Right now, you can get your first three Blue Apron meals for free with free shipping if you go to blueapron.com slash BS. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Again, that is blueapron.com slash BS. Seth, when did you feel like on your show? By the way, congratulations on your show. I mean, yeah. it's really like oh, the thanks, last man. year or so. It's it's talk about hating your stride. Um, when did you feel like you started finding your voice with the closer look and the stuff like stuff like that? I think it it, it probably dovetailed pretty nicely with the election. I mean, we it was not that was not done by plan, but the fact that there was just uh, so much being churned out by the news every day. That I mean, that's what you kind of need material. Certainly, when you first start doing things like that, it helps to have big, juicy stuff like um, like debates and and uh, conventions and things like that. And uh, and then I think by having that, we kind of learned the process of how to get them out every day. But uh, we were lucky that it was this kind of election. Did you uh, feel like it, once you once you sat behind the desk, the show just fell into place? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for me, it was just about comfort level, which I think is probably, I'm sure you would attest to this for your time yeah. working at a late night show. Ultimately, the host comfort has ninety percent to do with how each night goes, or a hundred and twenty percent. Yeah, hundred and twenty. I had always felt when I was doing the monologue, the standing monologue, that I was the warm up comedian for my own show. Yeah, that. It just was, it felt like what you do before you start. And so by moving the startup, we just got more show and it felt more substantial out of the but gate. You were probably, so, there was probably a little bit with like, you didn't want it to look too much like John Stewart, right? The bigger issue, the reason we didn't do it from the start was probably a combination of one, we didn't want to look like John Stewart, and two, we didn't want it to look like Update. Right. Uh, because even with our monologue now, is, is if it's anything, it's update. It's you know I would say the closer looks are certainly a clo- uh, hue closer to what the Daily Show is doing, but the the monologue is very update. I agree. And so we, I just didn't. I thought it would look like uh, punting to sort of get this new gig and show up and just be doing a version of my old gig. Uh, turns out a lot of people aren't good at two things. <laughs> in a weird way, you might have needed to have gone through the time where you, you like you reset it a little bit. You like you yeah. you did a traditional show by standing up and doing a monologue, and then you sat down and it, and that that might have helped in some way, either with the audience or with yourself. That you like you I went away from it and went by back. Doing it- by doing it that way, it was like a test where you had to show people your work. Like when we did it, everyone collectively agreed because they had seen the journey. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> think... like, otherwise, I think people would have said, oh, he's just doing the same thing. But uh, by showing them how uh, poorly I could do the other, they really embraced <laughs> well, Are you happy think... now, guys? You're happy now, right? <laughs> We're all happy. I think um... – the show when you started it, and this stuff takes forever. When she, you know, to eventually land to where you want to get to. But when you started it, it was a show that felt like it easily just could have run in 1994. And now the yeah. show that you're doing is a show that's 2017. It feels that way. The way you send out the clips and the different cuts yeah. and the monologues, and it's just the total package of it. I remember what was what was one of the first big viral things you did. It was like a, it was like a seven minute. It was a script. It was a scripted thing. Oh, was it like a, a like a closer look type thing? No, or? no, no. It was it was like a scripted. It was the a Boston parody accent thing. thing. Yeah, there was a Boston accent. There's something else, but it, we did a John Snow at a dinner party. That was yeah, 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 yeah. John Snow at a dinner yeah. party. But once that stuff, and then then you're behind it, the, and then all of a sudden it was like boom. This feels like a 2017 show, and it's it's, it's really good. Funny. 
I do feel like all like a lot of the I think comedy writers are very inspired. This generation of comedy writers are very inspired by Conan and that kind of show, which I think when you say 94 is like around that era, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I agree, like, we were, like, everybody was doing what they wanted to do, but then you kind of step back and realize, oh, we're just chasing a thing that somebody else did a lot better than this back in the past. Right. Um, and it just, the, the thing, nothing makes me angrier than when Lauren is 100% right, but I remember starting the show <laughs> and him just saying, you know, it takes 18 months. And I just, well, it's not going to take me 18 months to figure out how to do a show. And I think the day we sat down at the desk, I looked at the calendar, and it was like 18 months to the day. And he's still throwing fastballs? Is he still hitting like 96 on the gun? The crazy thing about that, him, Lauren? Yeah. yeah. The crazy thing about yeah. him to me is like he, he has a bunch of aphorisms like it takes 18 months. And you think every single one of them is crazy and every single one of them is dead on. Like he, his thing about writers is it takes a year. Like, yeah, I remember him telling that to me and the, like, and it's the identical story of what Seth just told, which is like a year to the day after I started working there, I like, I was like, oh, I get it. And I started writing sketches that were actually working and getting on the air. Like he just, I mean, it makes sense at some level. He is such a long institutional memory of late night comedy. Just he's done everything. So like, He's got a thousand data points that he can look at and analyze and figure out like, this is how this works. This is how it's going to go. So it's not surprising, but it is also, um, it's also incredible to me, like how, how often he's right about stuff like that. This is the most important question I'm ever going to ask in my life. Right. How would you, what are Lauren Michaels and Bill Belichick compare and contrast? Wow. It's a good one, right? Oh. That is a good yeah, one. I think Belichick is far more a details guy than Lauren Michaels is. Wouldn't you say that's safe to say? A hundred percent. That's the biggest difference, yeah. I would say. Lauren is big picture. Bill is little picture. You I don't think say. Lauren yeah. would be like, do your job. Just do your job. <laughs> Everybody's got to do their job. I... Well, you know, you don't. a lot of people don't see Lauren between dress and air, but he does. You know, he just puts on that hoodie, pulls it off, <laughs> pulls it down low, so he's in shadow. Lauren, uh, Lauren is much more likely to reward you and to be happy by like sort of innovation. Like, like the, the story about why they traded Jamie Collins yeah. was that he was like freelancing. Yeah. Like Lauren encourages freelancing at some level. He's sort of like, this is a 90 minute show. It's big and messy and sloppy. It doesn't do one thing. Like if, when the lonely Island guys came along they were like, this is what we do. And he was like, great, keep doing it. It's funny. And I, and it's not that Belichick wouldn't have that attitude if like a, if so, if there was some like new hybrid safety linebacker position or something that someone wanted to invent, but Lauren stands back and lets you do your thing, and then the show absorbs whatever your thing is, as opposed yeah, to Belichick not, saying, "This is the system. Come play in the system." You know, yeah. There's not a patriot way at SNL. SNL is everyone's individual way, kind of like trying. And then where Lauren gets into the details is is Saturday. You know, he corrals it then and has all these crazy. Well, as sure said, like all these crazy freelancers, and he has to build it into one thing. But that would be, yeah. That's so Lauren would rather have Jamie Collins, but Belichick looks at it and goes, Kyle Van Noy makes more sense for me. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing yeah. is that I would say, like, Lauren, uh, you know, I don't know. He, his, like, his big picture attitude is, like, is, is, is by design. It, you know, it's like he... He doesn't, you know, the thing that Belichick does famously, which is like after a game that the Patriots win, like 
45 to seven, he sits everybody down and shows them their worst plays. You know, like Lauren doesn't have to do that because your worst plays are your own failures at dress. And there's an audience and you get an immediate reaction. It's like, yeah, that sucked. So he doesn't, he lets the, he lets the machine run by itself and he allows you to self-correct and kind of learn on the job instead of like sitting you down. It would be very funny though, if Lauren sat you down and made you watch a sketch that really tanked at the table or something and like just yelled at you for it. Has Lauren ever <laughs> gone, time out, time the Lauren... fuck out. <laughs> I love that Belichick did Bill that. Bill Belichick has no appreciation other than Brady. There's stars mean nothing to Bill Belichick, right? Right. Like That's a good fame, point. any of that, like just sends aside. If it was up to Lauren, no one would ever leave SNL. Like yeah. his cast right now would be like Farrell, Wig, McKinnon. <laughs> like he would still, Lorraine Eddie Newman. would still be on the show. <laughs> um, what did you, Mike, what did you learn from running your first show, Parks and Rec, to running this show, The Good Place? Like what are the differences? Yeah, but like what, because it, it's almost, I mean, Belichick had the worst possible version of this experience where he's at Cleveland. Ran the Browns. He ran the Browns and then they moved and it was a disaster. And then everybody's like, this guy's a dick. He can't be a head coach. He goes to the Pats. But you actually came off a good show. So how do you take that to the second show? Uh, it's a good question. I think that the like early on uh, at Parks and Rec, like season two, there was, a, there was a, a week when we had a really hard script. And we had to th- kind of throw it away after the table read and rewrite it. And we didn't finish the new draft until like Friday. And it was kind of complicated. It involved a lot of like props and stuff. And so the line producer was like, you got to come in. We get it. We're going to be working this weekend to get all this stuff ready for Monday. So can you come in on Sunday and like a- approve everything? So I came in on Sunday and I walked through and the office, it was a Sunday and the office was completely full of the whole production staff. And they were working on the props and the costumes and the set design and whatever that we needed and I had this incredible sense of shame because it was like, these people, it's Sunday. These people should be with their families. Right. And instead they're here. And everyone was very happily working away. And it's one of the things that happens sometimes. But I sort of walking out of the building, I was like, my goal, my my job at some level is to make sure that no one has to work on Sundays. And so everything I've done since then, which was early on at Parks and Rec, has been designed to minimize the amount of sort of like temporal and psychic pain that the crew of the show has to has to endure that's smart for like five different reasons but especially like if everybody's relaxing in the weekend they're going to be better during the week a hundred percent if they'll be happier and they'll like working there more for one thing yeah and it's also just on a basic level of human respect and dignity i felt like it's unfair to ask people to do things that i'm that i don't have to do and since i didn't have to be there except to like say yeah that looks good that seemed unfair. And then also just, it felt like if I could achieve that goal, it would mean that I had found in a very like money ball kind of a way, like I had found ways that there were inefficiencies in the system and I had corrected for those inefficiencies. So that's been the the main sort of drive that I've had since that day has been to like make sure that I'm, to like be open to the possibility that I'm doing something that's inefficient and to let people tell me that there's a way to do it that's more efficient. It like, sounds like a little advanced metrics. It kind of is, yeah. And some of that is just the people you hire, like the, yeah. pr- the line producer and the department heads. And like if you hire the right people and they're really good, then you just trust them to do their jobs. It's actually Belichickian in some ways. Yeah. Like, do your job. And if they do your job, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to do your job because I trust you and believe that, that that will make everything better. Seth, what was your reaction when Mike told you uh, I should mention Mike's the biggest Cheers fan of all time. Mike's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm I'm doing this new show and it's Ted Danson's going to be in it. 
I remember I was in L.A. and went to your office, and yeah. you, could, you were either on your way to meeting him or you just met with him. And it was, I mean, it was like goosebumps. And again, I think uh, Michael attests to this as well. You, the greatest thing about Ted Danson is how nice a human being he is. Yeah. Because that is the real risk of working with Ted Danson of anybody that you care that much about is finding out that they're not on this pedestal you put them on. Well, do you remember what you and, said to me? Is the, It was the greatest comment. I, I quote it all the time because Seth knew him. Yeah. And he said, I said, what's he like? And Seth said, uh, he's a, a wonderful person. He's a, like a kind and generous and thoughtful and wonderful person. And if he weren't, I would still tell you that he is because it would be too much of a bummer <laughs> to have to say that, you that he's an asshole. But luckily, he actually is. So I get to tell you that. And it's the truth. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't going to be the one to let you know. You got to find that out on your own. So it's the journey every man takes on his own. So after this one, I think the next one is the Cheers remake. It's time. I don't know, yeah, man. Come on. It's been 30 years. It's like, you know, but no one's going to remake Gone with the Wind. Like, I don't think you can replicate that. Switch cities. Switch Sam Malone's job. But you that's make what, it different. All of that is what made it so great, though. Like, if you you want to do, like, an, a Cheers set in, like, like Akron with, like, Chicago? a former basketball player? No, he's like, like, a, he's like a former former defenseman for the Blackhawks. No, it's not going to work. I don't think that'll ever get... I, I don't think they'll ever get rebooted, and I don't think it should. You don't think it'll... I, man, I'll believe anything. I'll believe any reboot at this point. No. Yeah. I don't, You're I don't throwing your so. body in front of it. I kind of am, yeah. Like, I would protest. <laughs> I, would, I would try to shut it down. <laughs> 75-year-old Sam Malone behind the bar in Boston. Oh, that's the same crew. That would be, see, that's the thing. If you got the same crew, it would just be depressing because then it becomes the Iceman Cometh where like they or just Fuller never, House. They, they just never left. Yeah. They never left the bar. Seth, Ugh. did we cover everything? I think we did great. I think uh, it's now time for score predictions, right? Yeah, we yeah, let's do it. do it. All right, what do, Seth, you go first. Uh, I believe that the Steelers are going to beat the New England Patriots 31 to 27. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say uh, that the game goes to overtime mm. and the Patriots win 26 to 24 on a, on a safety that fly <laughs> a, a, sna- a punt that flies over the Steelers punter's head. I have 29, 25, it's 27-25, Roethlisberger going for two, and the Pats get a two-point reversion for the two points <laughs> to win by four, but which not is le- Seriously, which is less likely, yours or mine? I think yours is less likely. But <laughs> it's less likely. I don't know. I, you know. My feelings are genuinely hurt that both of you came up with a way for the Steelers to lose that was even more painful <laughs> than just them losing. <laughs> um, all right, Seth Myers, 12-35. Is it 12? 12.35. 12.35. I thought, it was a late, I thought it was a late game. Is it the early game? No, it's a show. No, that's when my show That's oh. a show. <laughs> late night with Seth Myers. I thought you were talking about the time of the game. All right. And Mike's show just had... 6.40, right? Mike's so yeah, show just had Eastern. a very, very, very critically acclaimed season finale. Yeah. The critics were acclaiming. The critics did acclaim It's a lot things, of acclaiming. Yeah. yeah. If you are interested in watching The Good Place, I would recommend not Googling anything and going back and watching from the beginning because... Uh, yes. Sort of I will attest that it is a, a it is a well mapped out, incredibly plotted, perfectly arced season. Thank you. Don't Google. Just You're go. Welcome. Just go to, go to Hulu. Hulu and watch it. Yeah. Okay, Seth. Uh, I I'm not going to wish you good luck this weekend, but thank you for coming on. I get it. None to you either, <laughs> Mike. A pleasure as always. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.
See you guys soon. Bye, Seth. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to SeatGeek. Thanks to Simply Safe. Thanks to Dunkin' Donuts. Thanks to Roast Battle on Comedy Central. Thanks to Blue Apron. And thanks to Real Time with Bill Maher. They're back with a rotating panel of guests, guests and more in season 15 of HBO's award-winning series, Dissecting Wall Street, Hollywood, and especially Washington. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher live Fridays at 10 p.m. only on HBO. And if you're listening to this on Friday as we're posting it, it's on tonight. Every week, the conversation continues on Real Time Overtime on YouTube. Thanks to TheRinger.com. That's where you can find the two pieces I wrote this week, one about the NBA All-Star Game and one a playoffs mailbag for round three. And thanks to Pearl Jam for letting us use music from their two 2016 Wrigley Field shows for our little old podcast. Go to PearlJam.com to celebrate the 25th anniversary, which they are calling PJ25. Lots of good stuff coming from them. Get ready. Play us out, Eddie.